I have preached this message, uh, or, or one similar, I haven't preached this message, but I preached the same theme, uh, even used the same title, maybe four times over the past 25 years. Uh, let me tell you something I found interesting. Every time I do it, somebody leaves the church. Um, it's, it's, and I understand, I'm not saying, oh, those are weenies and we just write them off and say, farewell. No, I realize it's the same principle when I preach. Every time I preached a marriage series or a family series, we lose families out of the church. Um, somebody came up to me not too long ago and said, Pastor, when are you going to do a good old family series? I said, uh, I'm going to let Pastor Corey do it when I go on vacation one day. <laughs> you say, you must not have preached well if people leave. No, I want to tell you, I don't think we understand the attack on family. I don't think we understand the attack on our sexuality. I don't think we understand that um, it's not that we don't believe and it's not that we don't embrace the scripture. But I want to tell you, when you begin talking about family issues, to a lot of people, that's extremely painful. When you begin to talk about sexuality, it's very invasive because people have somehow, I'm talking about in the church, the church in general, People have said, well, that's my own business and nobody has a right to talk to me about something that personal. Well, it's already been done by Paul and Jesus, by the prophets. You've already been talked to. I've already been talked to. The question is just whether or not we're going to listen. So I know it's difficult. I'm not saying that to say, <coughs> line up or get out. I'm not saying that to say, you better come back next week or we'll publish a list of those that walked out. No, there's no, there's no condemnation here. I hope there's conviction, but there's no condemnation. And I realize that all of us, unless we have some unique set of circumstances in our life, which are beyond what we want to talk about today, every one of us are, 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 are sexual creatures and we have to learn how to deal with sexual tension and sexual pressure. Um, I, I know when I've been in Israel, I love going to Israel. I've only been a couple of times, but I, I, am, I start crying when I see, you know, the land from the sky. And, and I, I generally cry all week long. But there are several places. Now, when you go to Israel... Most of the places you'll say, yes, these are the streets Jesus walked. But you understand that that was 2,000 years ago. So that means the, the, the actual dirt Jesus touched is probably several feet below. Now, that doesn't minimize it. I mean, if I, know, if I knew Jesus was walking on a road I'm talk, walking on top of, that thrills me. But you'll also <coughs> find that there are a handful of places where that is not the case. It has not been built up. It's been excavated. And you can go to a handful of places where you know these are the stones that Jesus would have walked on. These are the steps, especially during the night of his trial, that he would have walked on. You know, these steps were there then. 
And every place is, is fantastic to me, you know. Um, but to know that I've gone deep enough that I'm touching the ground, the stone, the rock, that's something special. That's what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do today. We deal with sexuality generally with an accumulation of dirt. And we never get down to the bedrock. But I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help us do that today. I'm asking the Lord to give us two things so that we can walk in sexual freedom. I'm asking him to give us integrity so that we really listen to the voice of the Spirit. I want, to, I want to go ahead and tell you, I'm not going to, this is not going to be the altar call. All the whores and prostitutes come forward. No, that's not where we're going. But I believe the Holy Spirit is going to move where we are and you will know how you need to respond. I think nobody should be ashamed to answer a call to holiness. But we need to answer and receive this in integrity and then intentionality. This is something that sexual purity is not something that just happens. I mean, it ought to be. We're born that way. We ought to be raised in our homes to understand sexual purity. But as we get more and more influenced by the culture, we realize that we, if we're going to be sexually pure, we've got to make an intentional decision. We've got to make an intentional decision. Job said, I've made a vow, made a promise that I will not look upon a woman with lust. <coughs> you say, boy, that's hard. You know, that's why he had to make a vow. That's why he had to work on it. That's why Paul said, live holy lives. And if necessary, Timothy, run. It, 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 that's the power that we're dealing with. I'm going to tell you a story that's going to make you very up, uh, uh, uncomfortable. Some of you may make you upset, but I want to tell you, I want, to, I want to bring this thing into reality as soon as possible. I, I was sitting in a restaurant the other day, and no, it's not anybody in our church. Um, I was sitting there. I, was, I had finished my meal. I was reading. <coughs> and um, at a table kind of across from me, uh, a, a group came in, and it was clear they were waiting for somebody and as I was reading, the other person they were waiting for came in. Now, this is not a misogynistic statement. I'm not saying this was the woman's fault or anything like that. I'm just telling you the way this worked. She came in and I saw her. I just, I glanced up like that and I realized she was wearing a very, very short dress. I realized um, that it was going to be very difficult for her to be seated with any kind of modesty. And then I heard them talk. She's got to slide across this bench. And I realized this is what's about to happen. There's about to be a free show for anybody that wants to watch. And I'm, I'm not trying to be crude, but that's what is in my mind. You say, well, pastor, what'd you do? I, I, I know it's a battle for every man, but I, I knew that I, I, I didn't have the right to watch. It's not my wife. I, I realized that even though flesh tells you to turn that way, I didn't want to have to, I didn't want to have to unsee something. I didn't want to have to deal with impure thoughts. You say, boy, you're just, you're a spiritual giant. No, I, I know how to run. That's, that's all it is. 
And so what I did is I, is I turned, and, and, and I'm, I'm being honest with you, I, I can't say in my life I've always turned. I'm ashamed of that. But I turned because I didn't want to put something in my mind and then have to deal with it. As I did that, and she sat down, I saw a man at another table stand up, and he turned and looked right at her. And then he acted like he was looking at something on his phone. But you could hear, click, 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 click. And he's taking pictures of her uh, in this immodest position. Uh, it made me angry. I've seen enough John Wayne movies that part of me wanted to get up and punch him in the face. <laughs> but I've also seen enough Columbo, I don't want to get arrested. It's really none of my business and, and I'm not going to do something stupid. You know, the Bible says there's a time you speak to a fool and there's a time you refrain from speaking to a fool. And so there's a time for everything. And I, and I sat there, I'm thinking, this isn't my fight. I, I, I prayed for the Lord to just cleanse that moment. And you say, well, maybe he was doing something else. No, I, I, I can't tell you everything that happened because it would be just vulgar. Uh, but I knew what he was doing and I knew that he was uh, driven by lust and was proud that he had captured these images. It bothered me. I prayed over the atmosphere there and it bothered me all day. And I, th I thought, Lord, I'm, I don't understand. I know it was wrong, but I don't understand why this bothers me so much. And I, I probably went an hour and a half and I, two or three times I said, Lord, I don't understand why this bothers me so much. I didn't do anything. Why is this bothering me? And the Lord spoke to me and, and I don't want to misrepresent him. This is, the, I, I believe this was the Lord speaking to me. Whenever we say the Lord said, we always need to put it in quotations because there's a lot of times we, the best we can say is we believe the Lord spoke to us. But I believe the Lord spoke to me and he said, it troubles you because your spirit knows something your mind doesn't. And you say, oh, that explains it. Not to me. <laughs> your spirit knows something your mind doesn't. And as I went through the day, this came to me out of nowhere. It, it continued to bother me, so maybe I shouldn't say out of nowhere. But the Lord spoke to me and, and I, I, I believe the Lord spoke to me and said this. Your spirit knows something your mind doesn't know. That's the second time I hear it. I say, what, Lord? Your spirit knows that that man is your brother. Not my physical brother, but a Christian brother. And you are so grieved because I'm letting you feel what I grieve. I felt like the, what I grieve over. I felt like the Lord was saying, this would grieve me regardless. But for a Christian to do this. It's especially grievous thing. And I, I said, Lord, I, I understand. I, I don't know the brother. I've never, I'd never seen him before as far as I know. But I began to I process that over a few days. I knew this message was coming up. And guys, I just, I want to tell you, if you are looking for a sermon that you can agree with and say, yes, yes, that's right. We, we got to be holy but you're not willing to walk in holiness. That's a terrible indictment. 
And it's a terrible lack of integrity that you and I have to deal with. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I, I, I don't know how a woman's mind works, but I know how a man's mind works. And, and I, I, don't, I don't even know how to begin to speak to women today except to say, I know that this is an issue with women too. But in particular, I want to speak to our men, but not just our men, our women also. I, I read, I've read survey and uh, statistics from three different sources that says 30 years ago, pornography was like 98% male problem. But what we're finding now is that pornography is becoming, um, I think it was 30 something percent of pornographic viewers are females. It's, it's shifting and it's changing. And in a world where we're trying to be politically correct, there's probably no way to say everything I want to say well or without getting someone's offense riled up. But I'm going to do my best not to get offense, but to, to not get offense. <laughs> Let's go to the word. Do you not know, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? <coughs> do not be deceived. Excuse me. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor those habitually drunk, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And thank God for verse 11. And he says, that's just what some of you were. Some of you were swindlers. Some of you were homosexuals. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were drunkards. And then here's a big butt alert. This is a passage with three big butts in it. Such were some of you, but you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. The first thing I want to say today is not part of the message proper, but we have got to reclaim the understanding of the gospel that it is sufficient to change whatever we are into what we ought to be. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality <coughs> or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheek people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. Some of us might have taken pictures in another setting. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. There are two great errors that is embraced by the church whenever we talk about human sexuality. Both of them are wrong. The first one is that sex is dirty. Uh, loved ones... Um, the, the more conservative the church is, the more there tends to be a thought that sex is something that's dirty. Um, it's, it's a necessary evil to keep the race going. But sex is something that nice people don't talk about. 
Um, I want to tell you that is so destructive. And when you leave your children to get their interpretation of sex by the, from the world, you're like throwing them to the lions. You don't want the school. You don't want the neighborhoods. You don't want Hollywood to form your child's understanding of sexuality. I want to tell you, sex is not dirty. This sounds crude. I personally believe if God made anything better than sex between husband and wife, he kept it for himself. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think sex is, 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 is right there at the top of, of evidences for the gracious love of our God and the way he cares for us and wants us to enjoy life. Um, somebody asked Anthony Scalia before he died, he said, just, just wondering, why did you and your wife have so many children? He said, well, we're devout Catholics and we like sex. <laughs> and I thought, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. <coughs> the other mistake, the first one is sex is dirty. The second one is that sex is so special that it's my choice. You know, that's why we say that abortionists are not pro-choice. They're pro-abortion. There's a big difference. I don't want to meet with you after church. I'm not going to call an abortionist pro-choice. They are pro-abortion. And we need to understand that sex is very, very personal and very, very private. And that's why God gave us so much about it in Scripture. So we wouldn't have to go outside of a lot of circles to learn but don't make the mistake of thinking that sex is my thing and I'm in control. I hate to disappoint you, but you're not. Your bodies belong to the Lord by creation and then by redemption, they belong to the Lord again. This is the central truth. Total forgiveness of sexual sins is not more difficult. God can forgive anything. It's not a challenge for God. When someone repents of sexual sins, God doesn't say, oh man, bring in a couple of angels. I'm going to need some help with this. No, his grace is sufficient. Total uh, forgiveness of sexual sins is not more difficult, but recovery from sexual sins may be more difficult. See, I've never been a believer. Well, in my early life, I was a lot. Of, I, I was taught growing up that every sin is equal. There's no difference in sin. You know, if you if you do this little sin, it'll send you to hell. If you do this big sin, it'll send you to hell. That's only true in a limited way. It's true in the sense that all sin breaks the heart of God, breaks the law of God and separates us from God. But all sin is not the same. All sin is not the same. If Glenn gets mad at me and he decides when he leaves today, I'm going to take my key and scratch pastor's car. That's a sin and that's not nice. But that, I know y'all see now what I have to deal with here. That's not nice, but that's a lot different than Glenn coming in the middle of the night and setting my house on fire and putting my family at risk. Don't tell me that those two sins are the same. You say, well, Jesus said, if you have adultery in your heart, you've committed adultery. Uh, yeah, but you got to understand what Jesus was saying. You know, murder's like that. Uh, even the Bible recognizes this. There's first degree murder, second degree murder. There's manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter. All of those are categorized as murder. But if you fall asleep at the wheel 
and kill somebody, that might be involuntary manslaughter, but you don't say, well, I've killed one, I might as well just go and kill a whole neighborhood. Neither, when Jesus said, if you have a, a lust in your heart, you guys still with me? He said, if you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you look at a woman with lust, he says, you've committed adultery in your heart. You don't say, well, it's in my heart. I might as well do it. Come on, baby. I got us a room. <laughs> you don't do that. What Jesus was saying is, I want you to be clean on every level. Adultery is in your heart if you never act on it, but if your mind acts on it, you're still guilty of adultery. But I, I want to tell you, a, a, a fantasy is not the same as the act. So we've got to understand that not all sins are equal. All sins have equal effect, but not all sins are equal. Um, for instance, in the Old Testament, if a man was a, just a calculating thief and he got caught, he had to repay at this level. But if a man was trying to feed his starving children, he had to repay at this level because of the extenuating circumstances. So what I'm trying to make a case for here is that sexual sins are not any more difficult for God to forgive, but our recovery from them may be the most difficult of processes for us to walk out. Doesn't mean you're not forgiven, but it means there is, I'm not cussing when I say this, there's hell to pay as you walk out of sexual sins. Now let's look at some foundational issues. You say, pastor, is this going to be one of those sermons? Oh, all of my sermons are one of these sermons. So <laughs> we will get through it. Here are some foundational issues. God's word is our standard and law. This is a life and death issue. Um, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. The Bible says when, where there is no vision, the people perish. But where there is law, the people are restrained. And um, again, we've talked about this. I don't know how much we've talked about it on Sunday. I know we have on Wednesday. When we read that scripture that says where there's no vision, the people perish. Where we generally use that for is to teach young pastors to get a vision for their church. Because without a vision for your church, your people will perish. That is true, but that's not what that verse means. Um, it says where there is no vision, the people perish. Uh, another translation and most translations word it something like this, where there is no divine standard, the people are uncon uncontrolled and unrestrained. You see, this is what America and most cultures fight against. There is no absolute truth, they say. But the Bible says, if you don't find an absolute truth, you will live an unrestrained life. A nation will live an unrestrained life. That's why we have such amazing violence and cruelty. That's why we have such injustice. That's why racism has pockets of uh, where it just seems like you can never deal with it. It's because nobody is willing to accept an absolute standard. But that's what makes the church of the living God different from every other institution, we say there is an absolute truth. I, I felt so sorry for Oprah one time talking about, she was so upset over somebody saying that we have to follow the Bible. She said, you're saying the Bible is, an, is absolute truth? And they said, yes, we believe that. She said, that is ridiculous. She said, there's one thing I know is true. There is no absolute truth. 
And I thought, bless your heart, you've just destroyed your own argument. You've just set up an absolute truth to prove there's no absolute truth. I'm not saying that against her. I'm saying even people that have good hearts that want to help, there's no way around this issue of there must be an absolute. There's somebody that has to say thou shalt or thou shalt not. Well, we put our, all of our eggs in the basket of God's word. <coughs> now, there are four words. These are not in your notes. And by the way, when I get to the points of the outline, I promise you I'm going to run through them. I promise. Uh, so, so don't panic when you say, we haven't even got to the seven points yet. Well, and he's given us four more points. Well, um, it reminds me of a cartoon I saw. A preacher said to his congregation, he said, I want to apologize to you. He said, for last week's message, having so many points, today's message will be pointless. And uh, I don't want that to happen. But I do hope you'll write these four words down. Um, the first word is desensitization. When we're talking about sexual purity, we need to understand desensitization. We are in a situation now, not only on the printed page, but on television, the movie screens, and the internet, we are designed where we see things that a generation ago would have shocked us. But now it's just standard fare. I'm, I'm being very transparent with you. We used to, we had a drugstore in my neighborhood and um, that's where we brought our, bought our comic books. Now comic books were expensive. They were 12 cents each. And... Um, Penny tax, you're talking, you're talking about a quarter plus for two comic books, you know. So what the drugstore guy let us do, we'd go up there and we'd sit for hours and read without buying and put them back on the shelf. And, and I want to tell you, I, I will never forget, and I'm not proud of this, but it's probably the testimony of every little boy of my generation. I remember when that drugstore started carrying Playboy and he put the magazine down within the reach of little kids. I never had the audacity to pick it up, but I want to tell you the covers that were there, it, 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 it turned my world upside down. And, and being in adolescence, I, I didn't know what was going on. I'd never seen anything like that before. But now you don't, you don't accidentally glance at something in the drugstore. Now our preschoolers are savvy enough oftentimes to go maneuver through the, the web without us even understanding what they're doing. I don't mean that they're doing that intentionally, but it's just a whole new world that's opened up. We have been desensitized. We have been desensitized. Um, 50 years ago, um, a young man that was raised in church, I, I know I'm being crude here, but you just, you need to listen to me. A young man that was raised in church 50 years ago, when he got married, there was a very real possibility that his blushing bride was the first naked woman he had ever seen. Not now. Not now. It's nothing remotely like that now. So we have been desensitized. And, and um, it, you, <laughs> I, I am shocked at, the, at what we excuse well, there was nudity in it, but it was just a quick scene. And, you know, how long does poison need to bring toxicity to your life? I want to tell you, we need to learn to stop watching our programs when they cross a line. 
We need to be willing to give up knowing what happens to Mary, Jane, and Joe when they cross a line in the show. But we don't do that. We tolerate it. Um, you know, I, I used to have a thing called curse-free TV. And I, you know, it was good. It was effective. But you know what I found out? Every time it gave me another word, I, my mind immediately knew the word it was replacing. And I, I, I had to come to the conclusion that my problem is not that I need curse-free TV device. My problem is that I need to stop watching these programs. Well, I got seven amens. I'd like that to be entered into the official record. <laughs> but I want to tell you, we're, we're desensitized. We are desensitized and, and we, have a, we have created, at least men, I don't know about ladies, but we have created a zone in our life where it's wrong, but it's not that wrong. I mean, it's just a glance. It's like a little boy in children's church. Uh, he, said, he said, I've been ugly, Pastor Stephen. I said, I said, you're not ugly. And he said, no, I mean, I'm acting ugly. He was probably eight years old. And I said, well, let's pray. And uh, I, I said, Lord, help him to act good and all of this stuff. And I said, then you pray. He said, Lord, please make me good. Then he thought about it and he said, but not too good. <laughs> That's what we do. And he was, he was saying, I, I need a little wobble room. But we've been desensitized. The second word is really a hyphenated word, is, is counterculture. We have forgotten that we are not to see how easy it is, God, I gotta hurry, to blend in with the world. We need to understand that we are not of this world. And I want to be careful how I say this, because whenever you talk about modesty, our mind always runs to women. But I do want to say to our women, I want to say to our young girls, the scripture does command you to dress modestly. You say, well, the men ought to have their mind out of the gutter. I agree wholeheartedly. The, the, the command to modesty reaches to men as well as women. And guys say, well, I don't ever show all my skin. No, you just wear your pants down so low we know what underwear you wear. And you're always grabbing yourself as though you're showing off to somebody what's just behind the cloth. And that's immodest. It's immoral. It's wrong. And we need, we need to instill in the hearts of our men to be gentlemen. We need to instill in the hearts of our young boys to be protectors of women. You say, well, I try that. They don't want to be protected. I want to tell you, we also need to deal a death blow to extreme feminism. And, and we need to let women be women. And we need to let men be men. And I know I've opened a can of worms that contain snakes and not just worms. But I want to tell you, we, we have such a brokenness in our society. One preacher put it this way. Now, he, he was a lot more strict about this than I was. He said, when mankind fell, two things happened. He was talking about that passage where God said, you know, you're, you're going to serve your husband and your desire will be unto him. And, you know, you, you think, well, that's not a bad thing for, for a wife to desire to please her husband. But that's not what that phrase means. It, 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 he said, your desire will be to take his place. Your desire will be to usurp him. And the way this preacher put it, he said, ever since the fall, man has insisted on being God and woman has insisted on being man. Now that will get you. I need a vacation now <laughs> after saying that. 
Now, now let me tell you, let me tell you, I know that Pentecostal abuses were common. Uh, it was preached in our church, the words of Peter's, you women, you shouldn't be concerned about the adorning of your hair or the putting on of gold or the wearing of apparel. And our women were forbidden wearing jewelry and fixing their hair because Peter I always wondered then why do we let them put clothes on? Because Peter said, your adorning shouldn't be the, uh, the, the fixing of your hair or the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel. Um, Peter wasn't saying you can't wear gold. Peter wasn't saying you can't have nice hairstyle. <coughs> Peter wasn't saying you can't wear nice clothing. What Peter was very clearly saying, and it's just a casual look explains it. He says, don't let that be where you focus on your beauty because real beauty is on the inside, not the outside. And, and Pentecostal churches that I grew up in left us a heritage of men. I, you, you go to a, a district council in the days I was growing up, men would be wearing a suit that was sharp and flashy and, and, and cost hundreds of dollars. And their wives were dressed like they were prisoners in a concentration camp. <laughs> because modesty went to the woman, but the man could pretty well do what he wanted to. Is anybody with me here? Okay. We need to honor women, gentlemen. And we ought to create a climate where modesty becomes beautiful to us again. Men in general are made to be protectors. And I want to tell, say something to husbands and fathers. Husbands and fathers in particular ought to strike terror in the hearts of those that would hurt our family. Somebody ought to be afraid to hurt our family because of the response that they know they're going to have from us. You say, well, pastor, you, you know that you could get beat up in a situation like that. I know that, but I also know it's going to be the worst fight they ever had. They're going to have to bring their lunch to do it. And I won't even go beyond that because it's politically incorrect now. But husbands and fathers ought to strike fear in the hearts of those that would hurt our family. And our wives and our daughters and our sons ought to know that. The Bible says in, I think it's 1 Thessalonians 4, I think, or it might be 2. It's in Thessalonians 4, one of them, that we are to possess our vessel in sanctification and honor. That's a summary statement where he talks about moral purity. Uh, one translation says you ought to control your body. You ought to control your sexuality in sanctification and honor. That is a command. I want to give a word to the older among us. Guys, uh, I know a lot of times older, older guys say, well, pastor, that's, you're talking about passion from a day long gone. and uh, That's not really part of our life anymore. And it doesn't really matter. I don't have problems with sexuality and temptation anymore. Well, then why is your mind so full of those images? Why do you still have all of those imaginings? Even if your body isn't what it used to be, why does your mind still stay there? Why do you still have those long looks at the grocery store? Why do you still have fantasies about someone else when you're kissing your wife? No, see, Proverbs says this uh, when it's talking about moral purity. He says, rejoice 
with the wife of your youth. Let her breasts satisfy you at all times. And that's, I mean, when it says breasts, it's really the word for an embrace. What he is saying in Proverbs, if you want to be a wise man, then even if you are old, let your wife still be the desire of your heart. Let your wife still be the one you can't let go of. Let your wife be the one, even, even when you're old, let her embrace, just do something to you. You say, well, I've just, I've just got too much passion for one woman. No, you've got the devil in you probably. <laughs> do you realize that God has given us a gift of intimacy and sexuality and friendship with one person that can know the worst about us and still love us the best? And, and somehow we think we outgrow that. He says, no, that same woman that embraced you in passion when you were young, when you're old, let it still be satisfying to you. I want to say something to those desiring to be married. This message today is not about you, but I want you to know as I have prayed and as, as I have prepared, I want you to know that I am praying for everyone by name that I know wants to be married. And I know there are those that want to be married that they think it's too personal and they, I'm not going to tell my pastor that. So there's some I'm praying, I don't even know who I'm praying for. But I want you to know it's not anything to be embarrassed about to be praying for a godly man or to be praying for a godly woman. And it's not something foolish to keep yourself pure until that wedding night. We're in a culture where we make movies like the 40-year-old virgin. And we, we, look, we, we ridicule or we look down on virginity as though they don't know something. But guys, we, we desperately, and, and it's, it's not going to be brought back by enforced rules. It's going to be brought back by a change of heart. But I tell you this, we have got to find a way to pray into, to model into, to, to show into the lives of our young men and young women what modesty is like, the value of virginity, and the preciousness of marriage vows. We've, we've got to do that. Um, here's the third word, purity. You say, well, you're telling us to be pure. Yeah, but purity is not just not doing something wrong. <clears throat> purity means no guile, no deception. So you may never think of physically cheating on your wife, but are you, do you flirt every chance you get? Where do your eyes go? You guys, I want to tell you something. You may not actually cross a line, but you need to draw another line. You need to draw a line way back here that keeps you from getting to that place to begin with. Um, I, I, I will tell you this. I, in every church I have pastored, there have been people that talk about moral purity and they're all for it and they're excited when you announce the sermon. But the fact of the matter is they're not living in moral purity. They're living in hypocrisy. And all it is is a deception to make me look like I'm on the right team when your life is so corrupt that it has blinded you to truth. Now, here's the fourth word. It's the word anointing. You can be free by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not called to be prudish. Sexuality is a gift from God and should be managed properly. And that's why everything 
from abortion to gay and lesbian lifestyle to gender identity to the idea of what is a marriage and what is not a marriage. All of that is tied to sexuality and all of that is defended in the name of it's my choice, it's my life, it's my right. But it's not. It's not. Not if you're going to live by God's standards. Satan attacks that domain as he does few others because so much of us is directly tied to sexuality. It's a, it's a major attack in today's culture. Hey, come on, hurry, hurry, catch up with me here. Sex is God's idea for marital happiness as well as human propagation. But like everything else on earth, something about it broke when man fell and it can only be reclaimed properly from the perspective of God's word. Uh, we've got to remember Paul's advice to the Romans, do not be conformed to this world. See, that's why pulpits in America today won't speak against unbiblical lifestyles. Well, we don't want to be unloving. Um, guys, do we do that with any other type of sin? No. And, and what, we have, what we have done is we, we, have, we have been willing to be conformed to this world when we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Um, so many ways I want to go. Um, so many ways I don't want to go. Let's go back to your outline. Sexual sins are potentially devastating for the following reasons. I'm just going to hurry with this. Number one, sexual sins are potentially devastating for the following reasons. Now, again, forgiveness. I want you to know you can be forgiven of anything. Amen. Sexual sins are most difficult to walk away from. You may steal something and it puts something so distasteful in you that you'll never steal again. You may get drunk and you may end up so sick that it puts a determination in you. I'll never touch alcohol again as long as I live. Sexual sins seldom do that. Sexual sins tend to increase. Um, I know when I was uh, a young man, I read an article as I was asking God, help me to have my mind under control. And I don't know if it's true or not, but I read it in two surveys. One said seven seconds, one said 10 seconds. It said an average 20-something has a sexual thought every seven seconds. Another one said every 10 seconds. So sexual sins are most difficult to walk away from. Uh, and that's why we've got to, in our homes and in the church, we've got to take on the training um, uh, uh, our children, especially in their teen years and preteen years. Number two, sexual sins affect the deepest part of our identity. Now, society today is telling us that sexual gender is fluid and it can change. But the fact of the matter is from the earliest moment of our lives, our gender identity marks who we are. I, I know when Molly was born, uh, this was back in the days when, um, what do you call it? Sonograms. It, you, you know, it just kind of gave you an outline and maybe it's a girl, maybe it's a boy. Sometimes it was clear. Sometimes it wasn't. We weren't sure what we were going to have. We knew that if she was a girl, we wanted to name her Molly. Uh, we had several ideas if she was a boy, but we kind of felt like she was going to be a girl. And I, I told that to the nurses and when Molly was born, they, they, you know, went through all of this stuff and 
everything was very, very professional until she was born and they saw that she was a girl and the whole room, nurses and one of the doctors broke out and good golly, it's Molly. <laughs> Ramona looked at me and said, you're responsible for this, aren't you? I said, well, I just told him. But what I'm trying to say is that within four seconds of her birth, it was, this is a girl. This is, this is your Molly. So sexuality affects the deepest part of our identity. We don't say when the child is born, hmm, I think they're phlegmatic or maybe melancholy. Be a, I think they're a Gamecock fan or uh, maybe, you know, maybe a Clemson fan. None of that is even on the table, but sexual identity is. And sexual sins affect the deepest part of our identity. Number three, sexual sins affect the deepest part of our emotional makeup. When a sexual sin is committed against a child, um, you do a damage to that child that the grace of God is required to repair. I, I, I believe with all of my heart that a father a father. Now, moms, we honor her on Mother's Day, and God bless her. I'm, I'm fine with that. We ought to. Nobody like mama. But I want to tell you this. The role of a father is to present God to the child. And I, I, I'm not saying it's an unbreakable rule, but I'm saying in my life, most of the people I know get their image of God from their father. And that's why it's important for a father to love like Jesus. That's why it's important for a father to protect like Jesus, to forgive like Jesus, to care for like Jesus. And when a father either abuses a child or allows abuse to take place, that person, that child often has great difficulty in ever coming to the terms of a loving God because they get their image of God from their father. Every day of my life, for all of my children, I prayed, Lord, let my children see you in me, even though I'm flawed and even though I'm weak. And, and I'm, I'm proud to have raised daddy's girls. I want them to know that I know God loves me because my daddy loves me. I know I can trust God because my daddy can be trusted. Boy, it's quiet in here. But I want to tell you, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying in here that if you've committed a sin like that, you can't be forgiven. But I'm saying you need to make it right and you need to help, let God help you break the power of that out of your life. You say, well, I would never do that to a child. I, I, well, I have cheated on my wife or I have cheated on my husband. I want to tell you, you put in that husband, you put in that wife a heart of rejection and if God doesn't do a work of deliverance, everybody that's been cheated on, everybody who's been done wrong is going to have this thing hanging on them for the rest of their life. They may know it's not true, but it's going to be hanging on to them. What did I do wrong? Why was I not enough? And so we've got to deal with that rejection. Here's number four. Sexual sins are among the most difficult sins for us to extend forgiveness. You can go home and say, honey, I'm sorry. I've been a bear to live with the last couple of days. 
I didn't tell you, I've had a toothache, it's given me a headache and things aren't going, I'm sorry, I just haven't been nice the last three or four days. What's your wife gonna say? She's gonna say, oh honey, I understand. Let's get you a dentist appointment. Let's get this taken care of. I understand. But you go home and say, honey, I'm sorry. I've, I probably ought to be honest with you. I've, I've had sex with three women over the last year and it's just not been good, but I apologize. You think she's gonna say, well, it's okay. No. You, you better duck. It's, it's not only hard for us to extend forgiveness to others. You know what, I've, in, in, in nearly close to 50 years of pastoring, well, 45, and I'm not talking about people here in the church. Everybody I'm thinking of right now is another church, another setting, because I would never betray you. But every church I've ever pastored, I've, I, I face this same thing over and over again. Uh, adultery takes place. And even if the couple stays together, um, their sexuality is compromised for years sometimes because the wife or the husband say, why wasn't I enough? When, when she kisses me, who is on her mind? I know she's kissing me, but who is she kissing in her mind? How do I compare with this other woman? And then you've got other practical issues of sexually transmitted diseases. Um, but not only is it most difficult to extend forgiveness when you've been done wrong, it's difficult to extend forgiveness to yourself when you've done wrong. Here's number five. Sexual sins, even when forgiven, complicate normal relationships until resolution is reached. And I want to tell you, when you get involved in sexual sin, your spouse may forgive you to the best of their ability, but you've got to understand, even though they want it in the past and they want it forgiven, you have created a layer of offense that sometimes it takes years for people to work through. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Sexual sins overtly, number seven, attack the Lordship of Christ in our lives. Listen to this. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee sexual immorality. All other sins, see this is, Paul understood sins are different. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God? You are not your own. Remember this in regard to sexuality, in regard to modesty, in regard to everything relationally in your life. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, because you've been bought with a price, because you're not your own, honor God with your body. Now, here are the Christian life lessons. Here's number one. Like the early Christians scattered across the Roman Empire, we live in a sex-sated or satiated society. Um, I know there has always been sexual sin. I know there has always been sexual violence. I know there has always been sexual abuse, 
But you've got to understand, it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago in America that was all under the surface. But now it's shouted from the rooftops. And you've got to understand, the battle is not won by saying, well, this is not America and I'm going to stand up for holiness and righteousness. You do that. But loved ones, you've got to understand, we've lost the culture war. We've lost it. Now, there's a chance we can win it back. But in the meantime, you've got to understand, you are in a society where everything you come in contact with is designed to make you think in terms of immorality, almost without exception. Number two, compassion for those in non-biblical lifestyles or who are facing temptation to do so is vital. Loved ones, somebody said something to me that changed the way I think about the gay and lesbian issue. Um, I, I don't believe it's a biblical lifestyle. I don't believe that, um, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a non-winnable battle. Paul gave us testimony twice that some of the spirit-filled saints once were this. But I tell you, someone said this. They said, you don't know what it's like when every day of your life you wake up and understand that you see everything different from everybody else. You see, if, if, if the numbers are right and, and the numbers of people that are in a, a gay or lesbian lifestyle is only like 2 to 3%, that means you wake up every morning and everything that you hear and see and come in contact with, you are different than 97% of the rest of the people around you. I'm not saying that's, I'm not saying that's an excuse, but I'm saying we need to show compassion and I tell you what, we need to drop our hypocrisy. Someone will commit heterosexual sin and we'll slap them on the hand and say, you better do better than that than bring them back into the choir. But someone that commits a homosexual sin, we ban them from the church. And you know what that tells us? Well, this is wrong, but it's not as wrong as this. You can make a case for that, I suppose. But loved ones, until we begin to welcome all sinners as sinners, you say, well, pastor, you need to, you need to tell those in a, in a deviant lifestyle that they're sinners. Well, I do. But I'm also telling you, you're a sinner for that website you go to regularly. I'm also telling you, you're a sinner for that calendar you've got hanging in your workshop. I'm telling you, you're a sinner for the way you flirt with your boss. I'm telling you that you're a sinner for the way you try to get a look, one more look, just a little bit longer look, or take pictures in a restaurant of someone trying to sit down. Nah, we're never going to have power over that kind of sin until we get power over all sexual sin. This is amazing preaching. I want to say number three, though a challenge for all of us, pornography is a very real danger to our children because of the ease of accessibility. Uh, loved ones, I, I'm, some of us are more visual than others, and pornography creates a greater challenge than others, uh, to, to some than to others. I understand that. But loved ones, I want to tell you, 
you can't handle pornography. You can't manage that access to it. I can't manage access to it. You need to find a way to bring yourself into accountability to someone that loves you and can watch over you. You need to learn some rules. I'm telling you, more power is lost in the church to pornography than anything else I know. You say, yeah, but if you get these safeguards, there's ways around it. Well, loved ones, can I, can I give you a radical idea? Get the computer out of your house. Get it out of your house. You don't have to have it. We went to the moon and built airplanes without websites. No. You say, well, but, 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 but. Those are little buts. They don't matter. I, I want to tell you guys, if I knew that it would mean my child could be raised in purity, I'd get it out of my house. You say, well, they need it for work. Take them to the library. If you've got to have it in your home, have a computer center where nobody is ever at the screen alone. You say, well, that's extreme. Yeah, we're fighting for the souls of our children. It's extreme. We, we have got to understand that there is an enemy that wants to suck our children and our grandchildren into an abyss from which few ever return. Here's number four. Families as well as individuals need to address the issues of sexuality that are faced in media and online access. Um, in other words, you need, you need to ask yourself, is it worth me having cable in my home? What are we going to allow to watch? Uh, allow our family to watch? And guys, I know there was a time where you could say, well, that's just everybody's got to make that decision because there's some bad stuff out there. I'm, I'm telling you, it's getting to the point where it's bad stuff and there's some good things out there. You say, Pastor, you just, you're clotheslining it today. Yeah, I am. But here's number five. Victory is achieved only through the help of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you six steps. And again, I'm not preaching these. This is, this is homework. This is for you to work on. Here's number one. We begin by recognizing biblical standards and limits. You say, well, nobody's hurt from my use of pornography. Pornography is designed where that woman, I'm talking from a man's perspective, where that woman smiles at you and is available to you and you don't understand, or you know it intellectually, but you don't understand. She's doing that for 60 million other men at the same time. She's not interested in you. Used to be where, where I... My other office at Lizard's Thicket years ago, <laughs> there's a waitress. I always try to sit in her section because she called me sweetheart and honey. She called me sweet pea and strawberry shortcake. <laughs> you say, oh, you get a little sweet on her, huh? Oh, no, I wasn't sweet on her at all. You know why? Because she called every other guy. <laughs> Sweet pea and shortcake and I forget whatever else it was. And, and I knew she wasn't remotely interested in me. It wasn't, it wasn't a flirtation to me. It just felt so good for somebody to affirm you. 
and she retired. She's also old enough to be my mother, but <laughs> she retired. Guys, I'm not, I'm, we don't have to be prudish. We don't have to be silly. We don't, we don't have to, we don't have to be obnoxious. But we do need to understand that there are biblical standards and limits and you've got to decide. This is step one. You've got to decide what role God's word is going to play in your life. Here's number two. You resist the enemy's strategy and traps. You say, well, I try not to do the wrong thing. It, resisting his strategy and traps may simply mean this. You don't go on the computer without your spouse in the room. You, I, I've try, I've, I have tried to do this where I don't go on the computer unless I have a, a, an assignment, a mission. I'm looking for this. <coughs> because if I go just browsing, there's no telling what I see and there's no telling where it can end up. So I've got to learn to resist the enemy's strategy and traps. In fact, I'll tell you this, and I believe I'm speaking by the Spirit. I think we're going to find a way as Christians, the remnant, not everybody, but I think the remnant is going to find a new platform for social media and going to find a new way of using the Internet because the way we have it now is not working. You are a servant and a slave. And we all are if we're not careful. Number three, rebuke demonic enticement. Number four, refocus on the presence of Jesus. My mama used to tell me when I got my driver's license, she told me for I don't know how long, almost every time I go out the door, she said, remember Jesus is in the front seat with you. And I, I thought, I was about 17, I was a little tired of hearing it. I said, not tonight, he's not, I got a date. She's going to be in the front seat with me. And my mama looked at me and said, you know, mama's got fingers that grow like Pinocchio's nose. She said, let me tell you something. That girl may be sitting next to you, but Jesus is going to scrunch in the middle right between you. She was right. Rely, that's right, Justin. Rely on scripture as your inner strength. Say, oh, pastor, I've, I've, I've memorized verses and it doesn't help. Well, this is what Psalm 119 says. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed or learning the power of your word. Just memorizing a verse isn't going to help you necessarily. But if you let the power of that verse get in your heart, That'll keep your way clean. And here's this one. You ready for this? Run! Run! Absolutely nothing wrong with it. I was in a restaurant with one of my girls just having a daddy-daughter time. And there was somebody that was sitting across from me that just wasn't good for me to be sitting across from. And 
it's hard to have a conversation looking down like this, you know. And I finally just said, sweetie, would you mind, would you mind changing seats with me? She said, sure. She said, why do you want to change seats? I said, ah, just change the scenery. And so we changed and she sat down. She said, oh my God, daddy, I know why you wanted to change seats. <laughs> Gentlemen, you've got to run sometimes. Don't go there in the first place. But if you truly are, you know, surprised or bushwhacked by a situation, learn to run. Learn to run. Are you free? I, that's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it, but I want to ask everybody that's online. I want to ask everyone in Brown Chapel. I want to ask everyone in here, are you free or are you just living in a bigger cell? As we move into the next day, we're going to be a remnant marked by purity. The, the church in the past, especially in America, has often dealt with sexuality by ignoring sexuality. But sexuality is a gift if you can enjoy it on God's terms. Don't make something as precious as sexuality dirty and then blame it on God. But Paul has the answer. It's in a third of a verse, but it's the key. Let every one of you learn to control your body in honor and sanctification. Father, you know where we are. Male and female, you, you know, you know. Father, I want to pray for three groups today. Number one, there may be some. Hey guys, I know I've gone way over, but I warned you. There may be some that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Father, I ask in the holy name of the Lord that you would give them the grace and the faith to say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you are here in church and don't know Jesus, when we ask for folks to come to the altar in a few minutes, Come and one of our ministry teams will know how to help you find a relationship with Jesus. If you're online, call the number that will be on the screen. Okay, now, the other group is for those that your battle is being lost in the mind with the eyes. It's you think it's safe because it's all online or it's all in your imagination, but God wants to set you free. You don't have to live under that kind of bondage. You, you don't, it, Paul said, sin shall not have dominion over you. That wasn't a command saying it, don't let it happen. That was a statement of fact. Sin shall not have dominion over you. I want you to know in your mind, you can be free. You have to fight, but you can be free. And here's number three. There are some of you that have let it go long enough. You're in some kind of relationship. 
that you know is wrong. You're in activity that if you knew if your husband or your wife found out, you know it would be the end of your marriage. It would devastate the heart of your children. So those that want to know Jesus, those that are fighting mind games, and those that have slipped into some kind of relationship. I want to pray for you. Now, look at me before I pray. Some of you, the Holy Spirit's just going to do a work of just setting you free. Right where you are. He's going to be setting you free. And you may not even realize it till the middle of the night you wake up and realize something's broken off of you. But others of you, God is going to call you to do something very difficult. And it is as though you're lancing a wound or you are, you, some of us are like the rich young ruler. Jesus didn't require everybody that came to him to sell everything, give it to the poor. But he knew the condition of that rich young ruler's heart. And he said, sell it, give it all away. Give it all away and come follow me. You see, some of you, not all of you, but some of you are being brought right now to the position where you're going to have to break that relationship. You're going to have to cancel that subscription. Some of you are going to have to get rid of the internet in your home. Or you're going to have to get rid of the television in your home. People laughed at David Wilkerson for saying Christians ought to get rid of their TV. I'm going to tell you, he was way ahead of his time. And he saw something coming that wasn't even in existence. But right now, this is the challenge. Right now, this is where I, I mean, I preached long. I've, I've preached probably an hour and 20 minutes. And I know that's long, but I also know it is good. I was trying to make a joke, but I wasn't expecting you to say amen. But okay, it was good. But, but you guys know I'm, play, I'm messing with you. The next 72 hours is going to be life-changing for some of you. I don't know who you are. The Lord's not showing me anybody. But the, but the next 72 hours, you're going to make some decisions to cut things off, to throw things away, to cancel subscriptions. I talked to you two weeks ago about my dad not being willing to let his hand go for reasons that were understandable. But he suffered the rest of his life. And loved ones, I want to tell you, God is giving a 72-hour window in, in many lives. Not everybody, but in many lives. He's bringing you to the table. And he's going to, you're going to have a decision to make that's just as difficult as a rich young ruler. You say, Pastor, is it really that important? Your body is not your own. Your sex life is not your own. Your thoughts are not your own. Father, I want to pray now because these folks, God bless them, they got to get to lunch. I ask in the strong name of Jesus for men and women, boys and girls that don't know you, let them have faith from the Holy Spirit 
to call upon you. And you said, whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. When we dismiss in a minute, you come forward and the ministry teams down here will pray for you. Just say, I want Jesus. They'll know what to do. In fact, ministry team, if you'll go ahead and move into place. Justin, they're going to be up front. Yeah, ministry teams will be up front. Okay, now for those of you that just say, Pastor, I've gotten sloppy. I, I, I go to sites I shouldn't go to. I, I, I go, you know, I, I have moments. It's not every day, but I have moments I keep slipping into this. And I want to be free. I'm going to pray for you. And some of you that are here, you're the rich young ruler. God is calling on you to do something radical. He's reminding you of the verses where it says, it's better to enter into heaven crippled than it is to enter hell whole. So right now, Father, in the strong name of Jesus, I rebuke the lies of the enemy. I rebuke the doctrine of hell. I rebuke every deception that we have bought into. I pray for the Holy Spirit to cleanse our mind, to set us free, to show us truth. And Father, I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, not only to see and repent, to commit our mind to restoration and transformation, but Father, I pray that we would be willing to do whatever needs to be done to get that bondage out of our life. I rebuke demons in the name of Jesus Christ. Demons of lust, demons of perversion, demons of wickedness, demons that promote sensuality that's not wholesome and not correct. I rebuke the power of hell in the name of Jesus. Father, I know I can't cast sin out of people, but there are those who are in bondage and I pray the bondage away in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray the bondage away. I pray the demonic strongholds away. In the name of Jesus. <coughs> I pray for our teenagers that they will rise to the message. I pray that the men of this church will rise up and be the protectors they were called to be. Be the gentlemen they were called to be. I pray for the women of this church to be what they were ordained to be and that is the, 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 the help, the strength of our lives, the love of our lives. May we all learn to rejoice with the partner of our youth and let their embrace satisfy us at all times. I pray for those that are single. I pray that you'd bring a godly spouse into their life, if that's what they want, and if that's your will. I ask you to do it. I pray a covering over them. Let them see the beauty of virginity. Let our junior high kids see it. Let our high schoolers and college kids see it. Let our SESL students see it. Oh, come Holy Spirit, come, come. 